Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. This is week two of our study on Christology. Today we're going to discuss the three major offices in the Old Testament, the significance of these roles, and how Jesus Christ is the perfection of all three offices at the same time. When I say offices, this is referring to specific roles or functions that a person may have in the service of God. People who were appointed into one of these roles were anointed with oil on their head as a sign of God's consecration and confirmation into this ministry. If you look through the narrative of the Old Testament, there are three distinct roles that people dedicated to God's service would perform. What's also important to note, with two intentional exceptions, no one person could perform more than one of these roles at a time. God intentionally made them distinct, and we'll explore why. But before we do that, let's take some time to explore what these offices are. The first office we'll talk about today is the office of the prophet. It's very easy to identify who these people are in the Old Testament, but what exactly was a prophet called to do? There seems to be a misconception on this one, so it's worth explaining. The main purpose of a prophet is very simple. To speak the truth of God's word with accuracy and with authority. That is why all of the prophets in the Old Testament would start their sentences with, Thus says the Lord, or this is God's declaration. This was done to communicate to their audience that the words that would follow after that would be the direct message from God, and not something that originates from the speaker. Instead, God was speaking through them. There is a general misunderstanding that prophecy itself is strictly the telling of future events, but that's not how the Bible presents it. Because God knows all things and is present in all things, there would be times, yes, that prophecy foretold the future and secret things, but that's not what it means to have something be prophetic. Anything that comes directly from the mouth of God is prophecy. The same could be said for miracles as well. Yes, many prophets did have the power to do miracles, but again, this isn't what defines the office. So the aspect of miracles in a prophet's life, as well as the telling of future events, are not the main focal points of this office. According to the Gospels, the last prophet in Scripture is John the Baptist. Luke chapter 16, verses 16 through 17 says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, so it ended with John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. From the time Jesus began his earthly ministry, 
we don't see prophets appearing in the same way as they did in the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of everything that the prophets were told to communicate to the people of God. You don't need a representative to speak for God when God himself comes in the flesh to speak for himself. John 14.6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is declaring himself to be the fullness of God's word and the only way to know him. After Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead, he promised his disciples that he would send them the Holy Spirit, which came to pass, as we've read in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost. From that time forward, all of God's people would gain the indwelt Holy Spirit that would reside inside the believer. By sharing the likeness of the Lord Jesus, all believers are now prophets of God, but not in the same way as before. The Holy Spirit speaks with authority through the completed revelation of himself in the Bible. And we are called to accurately communicate God's truth from his word. In fact, God made it very simple for us in today's world, because everything that is said to be from God should perfectly align with Scripture. And if it doesn't, it's a demonic lie. So it should be pretty easy to point that out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is the summation of the office of prophet. But now let's take a look at the second office of the Old Testament, which is the office of priest. A priest is called to represent their God by teaching the commands of their God and setting an example for others to follow. In the Old Testament, priests were mediators, someone between God and man to make sure all rituals and all the laws were obeyed. Priests were also intercessors who would pray, they would offer sacrifices, and give praise to God on behalf of his covenant people. This was necessary in those days because there was a great rift that separated God from his people. And that rift was sin. Because God is a holy God, he cannot look at sin, nor can he allow it into his presence. Therefore, in order to help bridge the gap between God and man, a priest was necessary in those days. However, 2,000 years ago, the ultimate high priest was born into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. Even before he was appointed to this office of high priest by his father, Jesus displayed his authority in how he spoke to the people of Israel. When you look at the second half of Matthew chapter 5, which we call the Beatitudes, 
he starts off with, it is said, and then he'll say something from the law that you're supposed to do. But then he follows up by saying, but I say to you to do this. For example, he'll say, it is said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you even lust after a woman in your heart, you're committing adultery. You see, so he doesn't ever say the words, thus says the Lord. Not once did he ever have to say it, because he is the Lord. He had the authority to speak for himself, because he is our creator, and he is the author of his word. On the subject of the high priesthood of Jesus, the entire book of Hebrews explains this in great depth but we'll just take a few pieces of it to examine today. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, it says, As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. You may be wondering, who is Melchizedek? And what does he have to do with Jesus? In Genesis chapter 14, we read how Abraham fought against a group of kings in order to rescue his nephew Lot. On their way back home, he was met by Melchizedek, king of Salem, whose name means the king of righteousness. He was identified as priest of the Most High, and he blessed Abraham after his victory. Abraham then offered a tithe of 10%, of the spoils of war, and acknowledged him as being a priest of God. In the same way that Melchizedek had no recorded beginning or end, and that he was a priest of God well before the law of Moses was established, then this makes Christ a far greater high priest than any of those that were ordained after Moses. In addition, since Jesus rose from the dead, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 makes sense when it says, But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, and them being God's people, which is us. And because Jesus is both fully God and fully man, he is able to do something far greater than any mortal human priest could. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 say, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. Since our time of salvation and what the Bible describes as being a new creature, we share many of the attributes of Jesus Christ through the imputation of his righteousness. Therefore, we are now all 
priests in service to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of his who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a tremendous honor and privilege. God's expectation for us is to display priestly qualities in our hearts and lives. In the same way the Old Testament priests were mediators and intercessors, we are also to live in such a way that we point to our great high priest as our only mediator. We are not mediators ourselves, but we are to point to Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. And as priests, we are called to pray, to teach, and to proclaim the word of God accurately. So with that being said, we go into the last office to examine today, which is that of the king. Now, this one is much more straightforward than the others, because I think by now we all know what a king is. A king was appointed to be the highest-ranking, sovereign person who would work for the benefit of those subjected to them. Unlike a government system, the king was the law, and everything that he commanded was to be obeyed. Kings, usually, once they were established, were replaced by someone of their lineage, and this was normally inherited by the firstborn son of the royal family. And not only that, but the office of king was traditionally held for life. So the office of king was permitted by God, but the Bible suggests that it was not his perfect will for mankind. God makes it very clear in 1 Samuel that he had always wanted his people to fear him as their king and not to share this title with a human being. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 say, The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. But why did they reject God as their king? Just like the unsaved in the world today, man wants to be autonomous and independent from God. They rejected God as king because they had no idea, or perhaps no regard, for how much they truly needed him. But God knew how much they needed him, so he had always planned a rescue for his people from the very beginning. Jesus Christ is described in the book of Revelation as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 17 verse 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is 
Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And that's us. He was granted this title by God the Father after he rose from the dead and was glorified. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Regardless about your opinion on the matter, the reality is that we all will be eternally subjected to the rule of King Jesus, whether with him willingly in heaven or apart from him in rebellion in the dungeons of hell. But above all that, the most amazing and awe-inspiring thing of all is that he has called us to reign with him in heaven. Since we were adopted into God's family with the Lord Jesus as both our Lord and our older brother, we as Christians now belong to a royal family. Beside the book of Revelation, evidence of this can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where it says this, It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. The Bible shows us how much to look forward to in the life to come. But in the meantime, we are to remain subject to the God that saved us through obedience and faith. So this is the summation of these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Now, I mentioned near the beginning of this that each of these three offices were exclusive and distinct from each other. No one person was to occupy more than one office. But there were three specific and intentional exceptions in the Bible. The first one was Melchizedek who was a priest-king, but he was an incomplete picture of the future high priest to come. The second person was King David, who fully embodied the office of king, but he was also partially embodying the other two offices in some way. There's no doubt he was the kind of king that God desired, because David is lovingly referred to as a man after God's own heart. He also was partially a prophet, because many of his psalms foretold future events, specifically about his descendant that would take the throne forever. David also performed priestly service in some way by representing God properly while bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem dancing with all of his might before the Lord, and desiring to build God a house. Despite all of these attributes, David did not completely fulfill all three roles, but he was a foreshadowing of the ultimate God-man who would perfectly embody all three offices. Today, we can look forward to the return of our king, 
who currently reigns on high, and he will come back to take his people home. So while we wait for his return, we have a clear example that we must follow. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are part of a priestly lineage that is to prophesy the truth of God's word to a fallen world. Men, you as husbands and fathers are to embody all three offices over your own families. As king of your family, you should be obeyed as you lead your family in a godly fashion. As priests, you are responsible to represent God in your speech, your conduct, and your actions. As prophets, you are responsible to teach the Word of God and speak the gospel boldly. By acting in obedience to God's Word, we become more and more sanctified as the day approaches. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he will reign forever in all three offices. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as we explored some of the things that Christ embodies as being prophet, priest, and king, and we'll continue to explore him in greater depths as we go on through the weeks. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.